0: This is an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
1: Three quarters of the nation is now under some kind of order to stay home because of novel coronavirus. The United States already has the highest number of infections in the world, and that's without fully testing everyone who has symptoms. The outbreak in New York, where the number of cases surpassed 75,000, remained the country's largest and could be weeks from its apex. In preparation, communities across the country now have the leeway to turn anything, a park, a tennis facility, a convention center, into a hospital. And that's because the existing hospitals are stretched to the brink. We're joined by Dr. Dorian Alexander, who runs the ER at Brookdale Hospital in Brooklyn. It serves one of the New York City communities' hardest hit by COVID-19. Dr. Alexander, can you first just give us a sense of what it's like right now in your ER?
2: It's very busy, to say the least. Uh, our emergency room in East New York, Brownsville, serves a uh, very much an area of need. So our patient population needs us. And even before the pandemic and the outbreak, our patient population needed us. And now ever more so they need us. So the volume of patients that are in our emergency room every day has increased. The volume of borders in our emergency room has increased. And the space has not increased. So we are overwhelmed with volume with within the same space that we had previously.
1: Mm. Beds lined up in the in the hallway, just wherever you can find space?
2: So we make use of every single available piece of space that we have for patients and for safe patient care. We If we don't have enough stretchers, we make do with other locations for patients to be on, like hospital beds we will bring down from the inpatient service to put in the emergency room. We will put patients everywhere they need to be in order to achieve safe medical care.
1: I mean, it just sounds like it's overwhelming with all of these patients coming in.
2: So yes, um, it is nonstop. There are patients coming through the doors 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we are, have long been out of space for patients in the emergency department, but we continue every day to support the patients that we have with the space that we have. So we are continually finding innovative ways to, to treat patients in the emergency department and make space.
1: Uh, obviously, you, you know, the, 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 the ones coming to the ER are fairly serious. Can you describe the severity of illness that you've been seeing in the last couple of weeks?
2: the severity of illness ranges and you get a spectrum. You get a spectrum of patients who just have mild symptoms and just want to make sure they're okay and make sure that they're, they're really not critically ill To you get patients who are on their very last breath. Recently, the number of critically ill patients has been increasing significantly so much so that we routinely have to put multiple patients a day on mechanical ventilators to breathe for them. um, And we have multiple patients a day that are very much in need of requiring emergent resuscitation in order to sustain life.
1: The way you describe it, it just seems relentless.
2: Yes, sir. It is relentless. You're absolutely correct.
1: How are the doctors doing?
2: I think my staff in the emergency room are some of the most amazing people that I've seen right now. They work tirelessly. They work endlessly without fear, even though sometimes with a little bit too much bravado because of the nature of the situation, but they want to help so much. They so much want to make a difference. They aren't afraid to step in and put themselves on the line for their patients. So in that regard, I think they're doing great.
1: How sustainable is this pace?
2: I guess we're just going to have to find out.
1: As you've now been doing this and at this breakneck pace and seeing all of these patients what have you learned and 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 are you noticing anything about this particular virus or about the the patients that it that it hits hardest what are you noticing that that's going to inform your decision making going forward
2: so that's actually a great question and it's one that i think is battling and baffling the medical society and science right now So looking at our patients here at Brookdale Hospital, looking and reviewing on patients that were in China, patients in Italy, and discussing with other ER doctors, learning from other intensivists around, there's so much pathology and such a range of disease that we're seeing, um, and so much that we're learning every day. We're learning what makes these patients better, what makes them worse, what we think on old techniques that we used to do to make patients better may not work in this circumstance and ways of thinking that we had previously thought that would not work actually turns out to work fantastically and make them a lot better.
1: I'm also struck, you know, there's been so much death uh, associated with this and increasingly it seems that if you you do die, you die alone and, and, you know, without family to visit or anything. I mean, that just has to be excruciating.
2: So yeah, you're right. Um, it's actually one of the things that we as healthcare providers battle with every single day. Um, probably every day for the last couple of days, or even the last two or three weeks, we have lost a patient maybe. Um, and it's difficult not being able to have the family there at the bedside in those difficult times and those those sad times. And it's a very different Experience and we as healthcare providers in this environment have had before. But now, with the spread of the disease and the easy way that it passes from person to person, we have to make really make special conditions for people to visit. Sometimes we do want to have family members come because no one wants to pass alone and people do want to see their family members. But it's hard. It's very, very hard. It's hard for the family. It's hard for the healthcare staff and team. Because we know that many of these patients are passing along without any of their loved ones with them. I've had my nurses, my residents who care for these patients stay at their bedside with them after they have passed. They shed a tear many a time just so that they're not alone in that difficult time.
1: Dr. Dorian Alexander at Brookdale Hospital in Brooklyn. You heard him describe how his ER is burning through supplies, and that's true at a number of hospitals, while those supplies are scarce. Soon, though, all of us may be advised to wear a mask. It's something under consideration right now at the White House, and so we turn next to ABC's Karen Travers. What exactly is being discussed, Karen?
3: They are having a very active discussion, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, about whether Americans should wear a face mask or some type of face cover when they go out for running essential errands or if they're out taking a walk. I mean, you're seeing this across the nation, Aaron Many Americans are doing this on their own. But, of course, there are concerns about the limited supply and should they be reserved for health care workers. Now, there's a difference between medical masks, surgical and the N95, masks. And what the administration is also talking about, just covering your face, wearing a scarf, a bandana or something to try and keep germs in. And, you know, our Dr. Jennifer Ashton also said, you know, when you're breathing, when you're singing or uh, coughing or sneezing, the droplets can spread. And she said, this is why even if you are covering up or not covering up, the social distancing is so important because of how far away those droplets can get from you. But Aaron, there's still a lot of questions about how the virus spreads through the air. And that's something that the administration is taking into account as they have this conversation. Another important thing that Dr. Fauci did caution is that there is a still very big concern about taking away the supply of masks from health care workers who need it. You know, if, if they come out and say Americans should start covering up, well, that could be a run on whatever's left out there for actual private purchasing. Dr. Fauci said that when the country's in a situation where there are enough masks, then maybe they would broaden out these recommendations and make them more formalized. But it doesn't sound like that's imminent at this point.
1: I already see on the streets in New York City, a lot of people wearing masks. It's interesting too, Karen, because it speaks to how we still don't fully understand how this virus spreads. Not to say that it's airborne like anthrax, but those droplets that travel through the air from natural speaking, coughing, sneezing.
3: And just If you keep six feet away, that's what the doctors will say and the public health experts, then you're going to minimize that potential risk for any of those droplets getting to you. I do think there's also a psychological aspect to this too, where people feel like there's so many things out of their control right now, because there's still so many questions about this virus, Uh, the asymptomatic trends, the how it's spread. So if you could take one small action that makes you feel like maybe you're protecting yourself or protecting people around you, and it's as simple as putting on a you know light scarf or a bandana, I think people are going to do it, Aaron, just to feel like they're doing something for themselves.
1: ABC's Karen Travers, who covers the White House for us, and coming up, our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, with my colleague, Amy Robach, answering your questions about
0: coronavirus. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: Welcome back to What You Need to Know. We are helping you and your family stay happy and healthy through this coronavirus emergency. So we're very glad you're here with us today. The big developments we're tracking right now, new numbers from Johns Hopkins University indicate there are now more than 787,000 diagnosed cases worldwide the death toll here in the U.S., now more than 3,100. That's more than the number of Americans who died in the 9-11 attacks. But the official ranks of the recovering are also growing. More than 5,800 people are improving. With me now is ABC chief medical correspondent Dr. Jen Ashton. And Dr. Jen, there is a lot of news today about testing.
5: Is there going to be one type of test that's better than another? No, I think the way we have to look at it, Amy, is different kind of tests provide us with different types of data and different values of information. So the latest is this what we call point of care test that can give a result in anywhere from five to 15 minutes. That is going to be critically important, because when you talk about responding to an infectious disease outbreak, you need to do four things. You need to identify, isolate, diagnose and then treat. And if you can get that information, whether someone's positive or negative in 15 minutes, it will make a massive difference. And then we're going to be looking at serology testing antibodies to be able to tell whether someone has been infected and has recovered. So all valuable, all important. Right. And then they could potentially return back to life
4: the way at least uh, the new normal that we have now. What about what we're learning about the use of malaria drugs to treat COVID-19?
5: Well, everyone's just focusing on malaria drugs, um, but there are several different types of clinical trials going on. Uh, Some of them are using different antiviral medications that haven't yet really shown any progress or promise in clinical trials. But this malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, it's interesting because malaria is caused by a parasite, COVID-19 is caused by a virus. So it's unclear why or how it may be useful in the lab setting. It shows some promise. And it's being combined with the popular and very commonly used antibiotic azithromycin, not necessarily as an antibiotic, though, Amy, but as an anti-inflammatory. So now that it has emergency use authorization, it frees doctors to be able to prescribe it to hospitalized patients, adults and teenagers with severe COVID-19, and we'll be able to start to collect that data. All right.
4: Well, that is some promising news indeed. Thanks so much, Jen. We're going to check in with you in just a bit. But in the meantime, we turn to ABC's Kira Phillips, who's in Washington, D.C., with all the latest headlines. Hi,
6: Amy. Well, here's some of the developments that we are actually watching today. Hospitals without walls. That's the new rollback of federal regulations allowing states to erect emergency makeshift hospitals like the ones we're seeing in Central Park and at the Javits Center in New York. Communities are now able to make use of dorms and gyms to treat patients. And hospitals are also taking on more responsibilities to take care of their staff. They're now providing meals, laundry, and child care to all those employees working so hard to save lives right now. And that Tampa Bay church pastor who allegedly defied the current health guidelines and was arrested for continuing to hold church services during this pandemic is now on bail. Florida police say that Dr. Rodney Howard Brown repeatedly disregarded state and local health orders. His attorney says the church took extra health precautions Sunday and enforced distancing among family groups. Well, the Gap is the latest retail giant to join Kohl's and Macy's in announcing that it will furlough most North American employees during this health crisis. However, some of those workers, were told, will still remain with benefits. And if you've been using the video conferencing capability Zoom that has soared in popularity during this pandemic, the FBI has a warning for you now before you get online for that class or group meeting. ABC's Rebecca Jarvis has the latest on that. Rebecca? Rebecca?
7: And these video conferencing apps have become essential for so many Americans working from home, working remotely. Teachers are using them. Universities, hospitals, families, businesses. So many are tapping in to apps like Zoom. Zoom is the most popular app for the iPhone right now. But the issue that we're starting to see, and the FBI is warning about this, is that some are hijacking these Zoom conversations. Outsiders are coming in. It is Called Zoom bombing, and we've seen it happen, for example, to a Massachusetts teacher where an outsider hijacked the conversation she was having with her students. They came in yelling profanities, shouting out the teacher's home address. Now, this is not obviously what you want. You want to protect your privacy when you're using apps like Zoom to video conference, and the FBI has some great recommendations on this. First of all, do not share the link to your Zoom po- conversations publicly. That means not posting it on social media. media. You can also manage who can get into your Zoom conversations as the host. You can manage screen sharing and put it as host only. And finally, you want to be using the most up-to-date version of the Zoom app. They made some changes in early uh, January of this year and those changes will be reflected and will protect your privacy much better if you use the most up-to-date version of the app. The U.S.
4: Surgeon General recently named Chicago as one of the emerging hotspots in the COVID-19 pandemic. And here to give us an update on one of our country's great cities is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Thanks so much for joining us, Mayor Lightfoot. And tell us how your city of Chicago
8: is doing right now. You know, I think we're doing uh, pretty well under the circumstances. These are clearly unprecedented times for all of us. Uh, but we've really been focused on preparation um, and particularly around strengthening our health care system, our first responders, and the people in our city who are most vulnerable. So we're moving on all of those tracks simultaneously, and I think we're doing well. Um, we've asked our hospitals to stretch themselves um, so that they can be prepared for the surge in patients. Uh, we are making sure that we're providing all kinds of support uh, for our healthcare workers, Um, And, of course, our frontline first responders are critically important as well. And then we've been doing um, double duty to make sure that the people that are most vulnerable, uh, our seniors, people with underlying medical conditions and our homeless, are taken care of. And then we know that our economy is taking a hit. So we've taken some very specific um, steps to support small businesses and their employees. Yeah, You're anticipating that
4: surge. How's the social distancing going in your city?
8: Well, we we, for the most part, people have been compliant, um, but I had to take some very specific steps um, to shut down our iconic lakefront and some internal uh, walkways and trails because we weren't seeing the kind of compliance that we needed since I took those um, steps last week. Uh, we've seen great compliance across the city. We've launched a stay home, save lives campaign uh, to emphasize to people that by staying home, they truly are making a, di- a difference. You know this, but this virus is like none other in our lifetime. What one individual does has an impact on many, many others. So that interconnectedness is something that we're playing on, but talking about how we have to be in this together. And we have to think not just about our own individual needs, but the needs of a city um, and really a nation and staying home is the safest way to protect people's lives. And speaking of
4: that, public schools, like in so many areas in Chicago, there are closed until at least April 21st. Talk about the efforts Chicago schools are taking towards that remote learning that so many parents
8: and students are trying to figure out right now. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge for us um, because we weren't really set up for uh, remote learning. But I think our public school system and our leaders have done a tremendous job We've made a lot of progress in public education in Chicago over the uh, recent years. We want to make sure that that progress continues. So we've done a lot. Our our teachers have really converted their curriculum uh, for remote learning. We're getting thousands and tens of thousands of devices in the hands of our students so that they can be connected. But we also need the um, uh, service providers uh, to help us bridge the digital divide that still is a problem in many of our communities. But I'm excited that our students will continue their arc of learning, even while the physical schools are closed, we are still open for business and educating our children. That's fantastic.
4: Mayor Lori Lightfoot, thank you so much for your time and for your leadership. We appreciate it. And there is much more ahead here on this Tuesday. We'll take you on board that big Navy ship everyone's been talking about, a welcome sight here on the Hudson, the Comfort. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: Well, our next guest is here to give us more information on the USNS comfort that just arrived in New York City. Navy medical professionals on the ships in New York and California will assist local healthcare providers by offering care to people who do not have the virus, freeing local hospitals and clinics to treat COVID-19 patients. So joining us now via FaceTime is Captain Patrick Emersbach, USNS commanding officer. Captain, thanks so much for being with us. I, I want to know if you felt all the love, relief, and joy That everyone is sending to you and your crew. When we saw that ship come into the harbor, into the Hudson, it was almost like you could hear the cheers. Did you feel that?
9: Oh man, absolutely. The entire crew did. I've never been more proud of what we're doing for our nation and the people of New York City. Absolutely felt it deep down to my bones.
4: Hope you continue to feel the love because we are sending it your way. I want to know: Is the ship ready today for access?
9: Yes, ma'am, it is. Our goal was uh, pulling in uh, yesterday and within 24 hours, being available to receive our first patients, and we are on track to do that.
4: Ariane, how many patients can your ship hold?
9: Ma'am, the ship was designed for major combat operations, so it has a maximum capacity of 1,000 beds. We have 80 ICU beds, 20 post-anesthesia care beds, with the balance being medical-surgical-type beds. Again, it's designed for major combat operations. So many of those would be bunk beds. So we'll work hard with FEMA and local authorities to make sure that those that are torsion are mm-hmm. appropriate knowing our limitations. Yeah, and
4: talk a little bit about the types of procedures or treatments that can be done on board your ship.
9: Sure. So again, we are a, a full spectrum hospital, if you will. We have radiology, four suites. We have a CT scanner aboard. Full lab capability, pharmacy, ICU with better ventilator capability, anything that you would find in a regular hospital. In addition, we have the ability to produce and feed our over 1,000 crew over 3,000 meals per day.
5: Over
4: 1,000 on your crew. I'm curious are they all members of the military or are they from some local hospitals? Give us a sense of who is among your staff.
9: Sure. So we have 75 professional civilian bears on board who are responsible for the operation of the ship, the navigation, and the power. And we have over 1,000 medical professionals, for the most part, come from military treatment facilities, maybe, on the East Coast of the United States. Our largest contributor is Maple Medical Center, Fort Smith. We also have 120 reservists on board also from Maine to Florida, on board to provide support to New York City. Well, we
4: certainly feel it. You are a beacon of hope for all of us who can look out our windows and see your ship there in our harbor. Thank you so much. And thank you to your crew as well, Captain Amersbach, for giving us more information on the comfort ship. We certainly wish good health to you and and please know and feel our gratitude.
9: Thank you, man. We appreciate it.
4: Let's bring in Dr. Jen Ashtonow with answers to your questions about the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um
5: the first question Amy, I just I I just have to tell you yeah. I was on the USNS Comfort back in 2010 after the Haiti earthquake, and it is Mind-bogglingly impressive. So I, I had chills just listening to that interview uh, with the commander. We should be incredibly proud. Yeah, I,
4: I had chills too, and I'm I'm still grinning from ear to ear just to see all of the support and all of the love and all of the people who are willing to sacrifice their time and and in some cases even their health to for the greater good. So we appreciate all of the healthcare professionals but we do like seeing that ship out there. Um I want to ask you our first yep. question. Uh, should everyone wear some type of mask when they leave their home? This has been a question that we keep getting and it's the answer is changing over time.
5: It is changing, and I we're keeping a close eye on it because I think it's going to evolve. Basically, you know, there are two different types of masks. One basically keeps viral particles in. That's the routine surgical mask. It protects others. And the other one keeps viral particles out. That's the N95 for healthcare workers only. They're both in short supply right now. But I think we're starting to see, based on data, especially coming out of Asia, that if we want to really flatten the curve and prevent trans. of this coronavirus broadly, we may see the CDC and the World Health Organization revise those guidelines and recommend that the average public wear a surgical mask, not for their own protection, but to prevent asymptomatic spread to others. So right now, there's no good answer, but we're watching this really closely. All right. Question
4: two, is there any proof that COVID 19 weakens by generation? For example, patient A passes to patient B who passes to patient C. Is patient C
5: less contagion, contagious than patient A with milder symptoms? We don't know, but it really draws into question two important concepts in medicine, science, and infectious diseases. Number one, Immunity. So, is someone who has protection against other coronaviruses or even this one more protected if they get exposed to it or another strain in the future? We don't know. And the second one is something called the size of the viral inoculum. So, that's basically the load of viral particles that someone gets exposed to, does have a very important role in how sick they get. So, the higher the load, generally the sicker they get.
4: Now, we've had a couple questions about the warmer weather, but this one is really interesting. Uh, They ask, as the weather gets warmer, should there be a concern about apartment buildings with shared air conditioning spreading the virus from apartment
5: to apartment? Hadn't thought about that one. It's a great question. It talks about the HVAC or duct system. We don't think this virus spreads via aerosolized particles, but we do know that viral particles can linger in the air of this coronavirus for up to three hours. So it's not clear whether it can be spread through those ducts. The other thing to watch out for as the seasons change, temperature and humidity and will there be kind of a dampening of the activity of this virus, at least here in North America, we, we don't know the answer to either of those
4: questions yet, Amy. All right, our next question, and this is a really important one. They ask, what do you recommend someone do if they need to go to a hospital for a serious non-coronavirus illness?
5: I'm getting this question a lot as well. It's a really important one. Number one, if you have a health care provider, speak to that person before you go into the hospital. They can help you decide, A, whether it's absolutely necessary, B, can it wait, and C, are there other options or alternatives? And also understand that when you weigh the risk versus the benefit of going to the hospital, the reason you might need to go to the hospital may actually be greater than the risk of getting COVID-19. So again, you wanna try to to communicate with someone before you err on one side or the other.
4: All right, Dr. Jen Ashton, I know you're sticking around, and you can, of course, submit your questions to Dr. Ashton on her Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton. Coming up next, right here, what you need to know to battle quarantine cabin fever. We have a little help from Hilaria Baldwin. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent, Amy Robach.
4: Welcome back. And while families across the country are social distancing to save lives, parents of little ones might need a few ideas on how to conquer that quarantine cabin fever. So here to share her parent survival tips is mom of four and co-host of the podcast, Mom Brain, Hilaria Baldwin. Hilaria, thanks for being with us. And give me a sense of uh, what it's been like in your house over these past few weeks.
10: Well, we definitely have our ups and our downs. I think actually my children are taking it better than my husband and me. <laughs> um, it's every kid's dream to be with their parents, at least the ages that I have. My oldest is six and my youngest is one. Um, so it's every kid's dream to be able to have their parents all the time. And so my kids are actually quite happy right now. You're very um, lucky. I
4: have three I, teenagers in my house and it's, I'm not having that, the same experience. <laughs>
10: <laughs> very different. So, and I mean, with little kids, they, they actually really, really like it. Um, Of course, we get cooped up. We're lucky that we have a yard so we can go outside and I make them go outside, even if the weather is bad, just because I'm like, this is survival and we will run around in the freezing rain and it's going to be okay. Um, And then in terms of, you know, the indoor activities that we've been doing, I've been making them do a lot of schoolwork, Um, even though, you know, when when the quarantine started, our kids were on spring break, but they're little and they don't know that. Um, So I was making them do activities every single day, mostly to start to teach myself how to homeschool them because I have no idea what I'm doing. I have lots of different workbooks. It's not really work from the school yet. That's coming soon. Um, But I've been doing a lot of workbooks with them and just kind of learning what they're capable of and not capable of what I'm capable of and not capable of
4: yeah we all, we're all learning so much. I, I'm curious because your children are all under the age of six, right? And do they know what's going on? How have you explained coronavirus to them if at all?
10: So I mean we've we've separated the the fact that they need to know. Um, such as, you know, we're gonna live differently. We're not gonna have play dates. We're not gonna be going to museums and you're not going to be going to school. We're social distancing. Um, and we're doing that because that's how we're gonna stay safe and that's how we're gonna keep other people safe as well that's hard for them but they seem to continue to understand it's cute they'll talk amongst each other about this coronavirus well we're doing this because of the coronavirus and they're very aware of germs (laughs) right now um hopefully it's not going to end up being you know a germaphobe thing but they seem to be okay for the for the, the time being but we separate you know the scary things we don't talk about people dying we don't ever you know get concerns that I have asthma and my husband is over 60. You know these things that adults talk about that makes us nervous, you know, when they're sleeping and we chat about Um, we are are very careful to to separate that with the kids. I mean, the the mantra has to be, we're going to be okay and we're going to do this and we're going to be all together and we're going to make the most out of this time and and kind of find gratitude in this family time.
4: Yeah, I love that too. And I know, you know, you were big on setting up a routine, setting up school at home. Even when they're younger, you can have some fun with that. I like how you say turn chores into games. Can you explain how you do that? (laughs)
10: I mean, things before I, the first first, it's all about perspective. I, I have to realize we have all the time in the world right now to do absolutely anything. So things that I would find to be annoying, um, such as I was like plunging a toilet last night um, or, you know, my dog yesterday was like a day of poop. Our, our puppy, I don't know, ate something outside and had diarrhea in his cage. So I'm like, great. We are all going to clean this together and it's going to be really fun. (laughs) Laundry, cooking, you know, cleaning the floor, any of these things where, you know, adults were in such a hurry and we're like, all right, you know, I mean, especially when they're little, no, I'll do it because I'm going to do it faster because we have to do X, Y, and Z. We have to get out the door. We have to go to work. We have to go to school, activities, whatever it is. I'm realizing now that there's no place to go. So we can all treat each other a little bit better, relax a little bit more and create everything into a game
4: kids follow their parents' leads, and you are certainly doing a great job of that. Hilaria, thank you so much for joining us. Stay well and uh, send our love to your family. Oh, thank you. Take care. Let's bring in Dr. Jen Ashton now with answers to your questions about the COVID-19 pandemic. And Jen, you know, we all saw that news report uh, in Washington state where that choir, where they have 45 people out of 60 now displaying some sort of symptom. This next question addresses that sort of thing. Uh, They ask, we all love the videos of people singing and shouting from balconies, but should I be concerned about droplets being an issue? I mean, if everyone's hanging out of their balconies and they're within a few feet of each other, it's an interesting question.
5: I was one of those people, you know, in New York City, every night at 7 p.m. We're doing that. I went onto my roof uh, last night. I don't think people are really hanging over and spitting large particles into the air. Um, Again, it's a very short period of time. Risk-benefit, it's probably very low risk. It'll probably make you feel good. I think the actual risk of getting sick that way is probably pretty low. All right,
4: Dr. Jen Ashton, I know you're sticking around. And you can, of course, submit your questions to Dr. Ashton on her Instagram at Dr. J Ashton. When we come back, the teen with a mission, helping to keep homeless people clean and safe with COVID kits. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: It's the most vulnerable, the homeless, who can sometimes be forgotten when so much is happening all around us. But in California, some are getting a helping hand from a young teen who is pitching in to do her part. She has already donated more than 500 much-needed sanitation kits to shelters in her area, and she's hoping she can do even more. We're so happy to have Shavy Shah with us now to tell us all about it. And Shavy this is... Such a generous gesture, but made even more so when I found out that you used your own money to get this started. How did it all come about?
11: Uh, I first started when I was just watching the news and I was ta- uh, hearing the governor of California just talk about the amount of homeless people just in the state of California. And at that time, uh, school wasn't on because uh, we've all transitioned to online school. And so I thought, like, I have the time and I have, I know where to get supplies. Like, why not help out the people that are most vulnerable? Because the homeless people, they don't have any protection, money, or anything and more, um, more than half of them are 50 and older, so they're more prone to getting the coronavirus and it causing severe health damage. So that's how I just basically started.
4: You want to do even more. So you've started a GoFundMe page, which mm-hmm. has already received a great response. What's the message you want people to hear?
11: Um, during this scary time, most people just think about themselves and their families, but there are people in worse um, situations than us, and so just, like, think about the people that don't have as much as, um, you know, some most of us do, and just, you know, do your best to try and help out, whether it's donating some money, or, like, even just, if you don't need something, then don't buy it because other people might need it more than you. Yeah,
4: shavy. great to see a teen working so selflessly to help others. We're happy to help you get the word out. Thanks for being with us. All right, we're going to turn now to our Dr. Jen Ashton for some
5: final thoughts. Jen? Amy, today I'm thinking really about two big categories. Number one, and we just heard a little bit about this, vulnerable populations that haven't gotten a lot of attention yet. This is not just the homeless, but people who are incarcerated, countries that are particularly vulnerable. Um, we're, we're hearing more about cases rising in India um, and parts of Africa. So my eye is very much on those vulnerable populations. I'm also thinking of technology and new ways that technology can help us fight this pandemic. Um, there are apps that are trying to be tested about how not only to track social distancing, but even temperatures and fevers in people. Um, and so, again, it's not totally ready for prime time yet, but I think there's a lot of opportunity and potential for technology to help us in a situation like this. But lastly, you know, I always go back to the humanistic part. Um, Relationships are strained. Um, People's mental health is strained. Uh, The psychological toll of this pandemic is very, very real. So reach out to people. Do the things that you know make you feel better. Um, Music is a good one, and uh, we'll get through it together. We certainly will, and a
4: especially with your help, Dr. Jen. Thanks so much, as always. That's our program for today.
5: I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.